and does so much for us. I don't want to talk about that today. I want us to be reminded of that today. And I want to talk particularly about a word, and that is abundance. You know, we often compare ourselves to people who have more. Uh, many of us here may compare ourselves to those who have millions and the people who have millions to those who have billions and the fellow who has two billion to the guy that has ten billion and the fellow that has ten billion to the guy that has a hundred billion. I don't know. But really we should be comparing to our, ourselves to those who have less so that we realize all that God gives us and the abundance that we have in our life so that we truly are thankful to our Father in heaven. In Psalms 36 and verse 8, as Jason already read for us, they drink their fill for the abundance, fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. It's like the children of Israel. As Isaac blessed Jacob before his death, he said, Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. And God gives us an abundance. And because of his loving kindness, this abundance overflows in our lives as his children. And so I want to talk about this. First of all, I want to talk about the physical and the spiritual blessings, that we both have an abundance of the physical and the spiritual things. And then I want to talk about three categories of the spiritual things in our lives. In Matthew chapter 13, here Jesus is, is speaking and is teaching. And, and he talks about this abundance that we have. And I want you to notice that this abundance of spiritual things comes resulting from the Word of God in Matthew chapter 13 and beginning in verse 10. And Jesus here is explaining the reason for speaking in parables. And he says this in verse 10, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. These Jews, those who were sinning, God did not give them this abundance. He spoke in parables so that they would not understand the word of God. But to those his disciples who sought to obey God and to understand these things, he gave them an abundance in understanding. In understanding the parables and the deep things of God. And so we have this abundance in understanding the word of God. This spiritual abundance in our lives. God's word gives us this abundance resulting in the knowledge of God and his word. And these things of which we have an abundance, eternal life and spiritual wisdom and true spirituality and worship of God and peace that surpasses understanding and of the physical promises of God that he gives only to his children of the necessities of this life. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 25. And of the spiritual abundance eternal life. As Jesus here is speaking with the parable of the talents 
And he again uses this phrase, to everyone who has, he will be given an abundance. Follow along with me in verse 29, Matthew 25, 29. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. Now remember the parable, the talents that the the one who had five talents and the one who had two talents, they took and they doubled those. And so God says, to those who have, more shall be given. And of course, this is looking forward to eternal life in heaven because in verse 30 of that worthless and lazy slave that hid his talent in the ground and did nothing, he said, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in the place there will, in the place in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so to us who have, to us who take the word of God, and it is profitable to us in our lives, to us more shall be given. We shall have this abundance. But Jesus says in verse 29, to those who do not have, even that which they have shall be taken away from them. Our lives in heaven will be full of eternal abundance of such magnitude we cannot truly understand while upon earth. This spiritual abundance resulting from obeying the word of God, God gives us this abundance. Now go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We also have an abundance of the physical things for a specific reason. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have this abundance so that we can do God's work in our lives. Jesus talks about this in many of the parables. That we are stewards. That we are servants. That we are slaves. That we are given so that we can go out and do God's work. You know, God wasn't kidding about this. That this was serious. That he gives us this stuff so we can go out and do his work. Not just to sit around, eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow we die. What happened to that fellow? It wasn't good, was it? And so God is giving us this abundance for a reason. Spiritual abundance for a reason. Physical abundance for a reason. 2 Corinthians 8 and beginning in verse 13. For this is not for the ease of others. This is talking about their giving. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. This is the way God has set up the kingdom. So that those who have give to those who do not have. Not just so that we are afflicted because we are the ones who have. But so that there is equality in the church, the body of Christ. Verse 14. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So God has set up the kingdom in this way. To give certain ones, or those who are blessed at a particular time, an abundance so that they can take that and use it to the glory of God. And we read on and we notice what happens. That as those in Corinth were giving this and supplying the needs of others, that there was thanksgiving giving, given to God because of this great work which was being done. So this is the way God has set up the kingdom. Now we are the ones who have abundance. 
We have great riches that kings of long ago would have given half or three-fourths or maybe all of their kingdom to have. A cell phone that has more technology in it than we used to fly to the moon with some years ago. Or air conditioning. Or can you imagine, as you step into a nice hot shower, what King Solomon would have given to step into a nice hot shower anytime he wanted to? I think you'd have given quite a bit for that. So God has set up the kingdom so that those who have abundance take that and they use it to work in the kingdom. Now, we are the ones with abundance. And we are the ones who have this responsibility not to look down on other brethren who have less or make excuses why they don't have, but they ought to have, but to be busy in using it in the kingdom. This is the way God has set it up, and we must live up to our responsibility. Turn over with me in chapter 9, chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now what's he talking about here? Giving of our financial means. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for your own personal satisfaction, that you eat, drink, and be happy, and enjoy the things of life. No, for every good work. Now it is true that God gives us these physical blessings in part for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. But let me suggest to you that is not the primary reason that we have the bounty which we have. The primary reason is to do good in working in the Lord's kingdom. But also secondary to that is to enjoy some of what God blesses us with. Our responsibility is to do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6 and verse 10. And Jesus tells us in Luke 12, verse 48, that to everyone who has been given, much will be required. I can imagine the day of judgments. And it comes for us as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ who have such great bounty, more will be required. When it comes to other brethren who have not blessed with such bounty as we have. Who do not have the material blessings of life. Not as much will be required of them. Because they did not have as much to use in working in the Lord's kingdom. Brethren, let's understand more will be required of us when we stand before Christ in judgment. So we must be prepared. Being good stewards. Of those things the Lord has given to us. We have an abundance. And we have bountiful blessings. But with that comes responsibility. Of which we must live up to. Now let's talk about three areas of this spiritual abundance. And the first one I want to talk about is grace. God's grace. God gives us grace in abundance. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
We are never to think that God will ever come short in giving us those things which we need in our lives to do what he would have us to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's go to verse 14, and just jumping in the middle of things for the sake of time, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundance. I always love those expressions, more than abundance. And we're going to look at that expression in a, in, in a few different regards. Not only is God's grace abundant, it is more than abundance. There is no situation we get ourselves into. There's no mistake we can ever make that is so big. There is no situation that is so incredibly difficult that God will fall short in giving us those things which we need. His grace. Grace is an attitude of mind. An attitude of mind to give someone those things which he is not deserving of having. Such as the grace to be saved as a sinner. Such as the grace that we have from God to be born in such a rich country and have such bounty. That is the grace of God. Such is the grace of God to have the spiritual strength we need to take the way of escape and whatever temptation may come upon us. God's grace never comes short. In Psalms 130 and verse 7, we have abundant redemption. In Psalms 5 verse 7, we enter God's house by God's abundant loving kindness. Now, let's go over to Romans chapter 5. And I want us to notice that we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, and we'll read first of all in verse 17. Romans 5, verse 17. And if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. Now think about yourself for a moment. You have received the abundance of grace from God. The abundance of grace, not a little grace, not just enough grace to get you by, but an abundance of grace. We have received an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, get this, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Those words are so beautiful. I think they're so beautiful, my human words would be inadequate in explaining it. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? This is the grace that we have, that eternal life reigns within our spirits and our mortal bodies. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the door. He is the one who has opened all of this up. He is the one who has enabled this. He is the one through whom we go. To access this grace of God. Now remember in Romans chapter 3. We won't take time to read this morning. Verses 23 through 25. That we are justified as a gift of God. Gift of his grace. 
And so that we can have that, someone had to die on the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. That is Jesus Christ. So it is through him we have this abundant grace of God. And eternal life. But look in, in, in chapter 5, go down to verse 21 with me. Now look, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death... Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now go over to chapter 6. And we won't spend but just a second on this. But the Apostle Paul, in talking about this grace and this abundance that we have through Christ Jesus, now he tells us, and I must remind each of us, how that we come in contact with Jesus Christ so that we have this abundance grace in our lives. Well, he already told us in chapter 3, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Now, what do we have to do? Verse 3 of chapter 6, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? That's what we must do. That is the plan of God. That Jesus would do the difficult thing to die on the cross and be the propitiation, and our sins are propitiated when we obey him to be baptized for the remission of our sins. Now, think about this. If you're a Christian, think about the moment in which you were baptized. And think about going down under the water and coming up out of the water. You were given this abundant grace. It was given to you by God through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 14 of chapter 6. Verse 14. Because you were baptized into Jesus Christ and your sins were propitiated, verse 14 for sin shall not be master over you, for you are, uh, are not under law, but under grace. No longer under law. No, under, no longer under the law of sin and death, but now under grace. The grace of God covers you. And your sins are forgiven. Wiped away with the blood of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God. So we have abundant grace. And again, this is directly linked to the Word of God, which communicates this and tells us what we must do to have access to this grace. Now as Christians, we have abundant honor. Abundant honor. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and here the Apostle Paul is talking about the church He's talking about members of the body of Christ. And I want to pull out one phrase, and I want to talk about it within the context of this lesson. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 12, and verse 23. Again, just jumping in the middle of things. And those members of the body which are deemed less honorable. Now, he's talking about in physical terms, those individuals who are members of the church or members of the congregation, which in human terms would be less honorable. Not the preacher, not the elders, not the deacons. Maybe, maybe one of the elderly widows less honorable. This is from a worldly point of view, not from a Christian point of view. And then Paul explains that. So he says, And those members of the body which are deemed less honorable, on those we bestow 
more abundant honor. And again, he uses the phrase again in, in verse 24, giving more abundant honor. Now, now I want to talk about that phrase, more abundant honor. What, what does that say? That says that all of us as members of the body of Christ, as Christians, we all have abundant honor. And those whom the world deems to be less honorable in its worldly, physical way of looking at things, they have more abundant honor. To me, that says that every Christian has abundant honor. Members of the body of Christ, we have abundant honor. Go over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because of that then, it is important that we do some things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If we are honorable and have abundant honor given to us by God, because Jesus Christ died for us, he was the propitiation for our sins, we have been cleansed and purified and sanctified. We have a responsibility. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. We have a responsibility now as Christians. Those who have been redeemed, bought back with the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ, to now, Possess our vessels, our physical bodies in sanctification and honor. Of those physical vessels set aside for God's service and his kingdom. We talked about that already, about using our physical blessings. And presenting ourselves honorably before all those who are in the world. Now this speaks volumes of which we don't have time to talk about today. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20. We glorify God in our bodies. The things that we wear, the way we present ourselves, the way we comb our hair, the way we walk, the places we go, the words we use, the things we do, everything either brings glory to God or, or it doesn't. And of those who have been sanctified, washing the blood of the Lamb, those to whom God has bestowed this great abundant honor, our responsibility is to present ourselves honorably to the world as Christians, the children of God, and not like those in the world who are lost and on the pathway to hell. So our responsibility is to possess these vessels, these earthen vessels, the way that we should. And so as a result of this honor, Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. In the judgment, we will have honor. Again, think about that judgment seat of Jesus Christ and standing before it. We've already talked about the fact that we will have a, a, a responsibility in the things that we have to use them properly, and more will be required. We've talked about that already. And now we are doing those things that we ought to do. We're responsible with the things which the Lord has given us. We are good stewards. It comes to the day of judgment and honor will be given to us. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
If we have honor here upon earth as members of the Lord's church, that honor continues on and will continue at judgment. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. So that the, again, just jumping in the middle of things, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now the word revelation is used as those things which are revealed. And Jesus is here today, is he not? Jesus is here with us. He's in this building. He's outside of this building. He's everywhere, but we can't see him. There is a day coming when he will be revealed. It's like pulling back of a curtain so that you can see what is behind it. It will be revealed. When is that day? Well, it is when Jesus Christ comes back with his angels in flaming fire. To take home all of those things. Home to be with God for eternity. On that day we shall have honor. If it were, be to, were to be today when we rise up to be with the Lord. We would rise up to be with the Lord as the angels are there with him. And we will have great honor. Turn your Bibles back with me to the book of Romans. And now let's look at Romans chapter 2. As the Apostle Paul is just getting started in this epistle, and remember the things we talked about, the abundant grace and the salvation that we've already talked about. He prefaced those remarks with these things here in chapter 2. In chapter 2, and just again jumping in the middle of things, in verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and Honor and immortality, eternal life. So that's what we are working for. This honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember in the judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as best we can play this out in our mortal minds with our limited knowledge, remember the Bible tells us that we will judge the world and angels. All those people out in the world who are doing the wrong things, who do whatever they do, and cause us all the trouble that it causes us, one day shall stand before us in judgment. How's that going to work? I don't know. Yes, they're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. All men must do that. Somehow we're going to be participating in this judgment, but we're going to be there. We're going to be participating in that judgment. And can you imagine Michael the archangel standing before us in judgment? That's what the Bible says. And so we're going to have this honor. It's not all revealed. I don't understand it all. But there's going to be this great honor at the judgment for us as Christians, the children of God, as the rest of the world. And even the angels come before the judgment seat of Christ. And before us, being there with Christ, and they are judged. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on for eternity. Go with me over to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in verse 21. Now, now beginning in verse 22, and I chose to read several verses here just so we get a running start at what's being said here. But remember, we're talking about. Being in heaven, we're talking about that new heaven, that new earth, that new Jerusalem. 
And in verse 21, John writes, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the streets of the city uh, city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there is no need of night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean. What is that saying? Only those things which are honorable will be there. If it is dishonorable, it will not be there. Those things which are unclean, and no one has and and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's you and I. Christians. They will be there. The place of honor. There's, in eternity, there's going to be two places. An honorable place and a dishonorable place. And that place of honor will be heaven. The eternal city of God. When you ponder the most honorable people upon the earth and rank them, do you merely think from a physical perspective? Or do you think from a spiritual perspective? Who would you put first, the most honorable, the president of a country who is an unbeliever? Is he the most honorable? Or how about a boss or a teacher who's an unbeliever? Or how about an elderly widow who is poor and destitute but a faithful child of God? Would she not be the most honorable? You see, we can't think in worldly terms. When we look at other people and we think of other people and we give them praise... We can't think like the rest of the world because the rest of the world gives the most honor or can give the most honor to one who is not even a Christian. And that person in the eyes of God is dishonorable. So why should we as Christians put such great honor upon them? And I understand we are to honor the king and the government and all those things. I'm within that perspective. But still, should not the most lowliest Christian in our eyes be the most honorable of all those who are unbelievers? Because it is so in God's eyes. So we need to think about the way that we look at other people. As God's children, then, we are the most honorable upon the face of the earth. You put the greatest man in all the world, the most powerful man in all the world, if he is an unbeliever, he is less honorable than we are. We must be careful not to think about ourselves in a haughty and a proud way. We're not to do that. But we are to think about ourselves in the proper perspective. I want to... Throw one more out very quickly before I give a brief, a brief warning. God gives us abundant grace, physical and spiritual blessings, abundant honor, but he also gives us abundant comfort. Turn your Bibles with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
There are difficulties we must endure here upon earth. Jesus tells us about the persecutions that will come and the difficulties that will come. And he says, they did these things to the prophets. They're going to do the same things to you. There are difficulties. We must count the cost. Carry our cross. Give up even our own lives. There are difficulties. But God, in these difficulties and in these sufferings, God gives us an abundance of comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundance through Christ. Paul here writing in 2 Corinthians and beginning here in chapter 1, in just a few chapters, gets to talking about eternal life in heaven. The Lord tells us there's going to be difficulties here. Things are going to be rough sometimes. But the Lord always gives us an abundance of comfort if we are seeking those things out. We have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. We have the sanctification as Christians. We have the life that God gives us here with family and with brethren. We are comforted by God and by his word. And thereby we're able to fight the good fight to the very end, knowing the reward that awaits. So there is always comfort if we seek it out as God would have us to do. I want to conclude, though, with one other point, and that is a warning. To be on guard. You know... Well, when you think about it and you look truly at the abundance that we have and you compare ourselves to even some brethren who are in the world who have life so difficult and live in such poverty, it it could be easy to become greedy, to want more, to not be satisfied. So, So we have to be careful not to do that. In, in Luke chapter 12, if, if you would turn over there with me, to Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus teaches on this. And, and he says, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And, and certainly we have an abundance. I, I guess all of us here had our Thursday, Thursday feast. And, you know, there are brethren in many parts of the world that may never experience anything like that. We have our air conditioners and our hot showers and our cars and all the things. I I, I don't need to enumerate them for you. And it's very easy to begin trusting in those things or to think that we're somebody because of those things. And those are the blessings of God. Remember just a little bit further in this chapter... Beginning in verse 16, Jesus then tells the parable of the rich land owner and, and how he had such a bountiful harvest. So he took and tore down his barns and built even larger ones so that he could eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy life and not have to worry about working or anything such as that. And he was a fool and 
Jesus says that very night his life was required. And the implication was that he wasn't going to heaven. And Jesus says, watch out that you do not do the same things. So in chapter 12 and then in verse 22, Jesus says this. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat nor for your body as to what you will put on. In other words, you people who have such abundance, don't be tied up with this and don't be worrying about this. Focus on God and focus on what you're supposed to focus on and don't be caught up with the physical things. Don't be caught up with the abundance. And then in verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And so the warning is not to get caught up in all of the abundance which God gives to us. But to stay focused and to realize that God has given this to us and he's given it to us for a reason, not to be greedy, not to be lazy, not to trust in these physical things, not just to eat, drink, and be merry, but so that we can do his work on his behalf. That's why he's given it to us. And so we've got to be careful to stay focused on that and not on the physical. God gives us an abundance. And as I think about this, and maybe you too, thankfulness just wells up in my heart. And you may be like me, I thank God, I can't even count the number of times for the great life that I have, and he has blessed me so incredibly much. But it also reminds me of our responsibility. And that one day we'll be judged as how we've used these things God has given to us. And it warns me to look out because I'm prone to be greedy and to trust in the physical things rather in God and to keep these things for myself rather than sharing and using them. So I need to watch out. Beware of every form of greediness. That's the lesson. We're going to extend the gospel invitation. If you'd like to get your songbook out, number 324. Come, sinner, come. If you're not a Christian, if God is not first in your life this very moment, will you not make a change? What must you do? The Lord simply asked you, believing in him, to repent of your sins. Let, let me pause just a second. I encourage you to read the bulletin article today. There may be some information that helps you look at repentance and changing your life just a little bit. God created us as upright individuals. To repent is simply to be the person he made us to be. That's not the message of the world, nor is it the message of most denominations today. Simply to be that person he made you to be, an upright Holy person, just to be that person. Making your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being baptized for the remission of your sins, you'll have that abundant grace we talked about today. You'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You'll be given great honor for the rest of your life here and in the judgment and for eternity as a child of God. If we can help you at all this morning, won't you come to the front now as we stand and sing?